Steve Dace here for Freedom Fest, the biggest and most successful liberty event of the year, attracting thousands of people, including hundreds of liberty-oriented speakers, think tanks, nonprofits, and sponsors. This year's Freedom Fest is taking place in Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. Exploring New Frontiers is the theme of this year's festivities and includes sessions on technology, the liberty movement, politics, investing, business, education, healthy living, and much more. John Stossel, Lisa Kennedy, Dan Bongino, Deneen Borelli, Steve Forbes, Jim Rogers, and even Star Trek's own William Shatner will keynote the event. Register today for $100 off the regular rate by using code CRTV100 at the checkout. You won't want to wait, though. This code only works for the first 100 registrations that use it. Freedom Fest 2017, coming to Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. It'll be here before you know it. Go to FreedomFest.com for more information and to sign up. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in here on the Steve Dave Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We have uh, cleared the deck here in the opening hour of the show. I made a little executive decision because I want to park the car in a very important space. Because whatever you want Donald Trump to accomplish as the president of the United States is at risk already. An attempt has already been made to essentially nullify the 2016 election. And no, I'm not talking about protesters and snowflakes in the streets that are frankly doing nothing other than helping Donald Trump win the 2020 election. I'm talking about not fake AstroTurf, not Jill Stein recounts, not people who are sitting around prowling the corridors of Washington Praying they don't get blasted on Twitter by Trump. No. I'm talking about a clear and present danger. And they've been at this game long before you elected your little bull in a china shop with the terrible comb over as president. 
I'm talking about the courts. Because it did not take long for President Trump to run face first into their clenched fist over the weekend. The courts are the progressives' weapon of mass destruction. And it's like when I used to play House of the Dead with my teenage daughter on Wii U. Reload, reload, reload. That's what the courts do. They just reload. This is only the opening salvo, guys. There was a popular horror movie when I was a kid called Sometimes They Come Back. In this case, they always come back. Many of you know that on Friday afternoon, a federal judge in Seattle decided that somehow he had the authority to determine our immigration policy. Under what jurisdiction, under what authority, that, and where that authority came from is unknown, but it doesn't have to be known. He's the all-powerful judge. He can do whatever he wants. Well, he can't. You're just going to let him do it anyway. Constitution grants the judiciary no such authority at all. Nowhere. The idea that one federal district judge in Washington state can decree immigration policy for the entire country. Who are you fooling with that? Apparently everybody that matters. I guess apparently. So even though the Constitution grants him no such authority, and since the Constitution is what grants authority, if it doesn't grant such authority, then by extension, guess what it also does? Forbids it. Because that's what the Constitution does. It grants things. Enumerates things. So if no such authority is enumerated, then we can logically assume, since it wasn't enumerated, it was what? Forbidden. Nonetheless, His stay against Trump's ban on importing foreigners from seven countries selected by the Obama administration, mind you, because they were dominated by Islamic radicalism. It was upheld by Trump's Department of Homeland Security, which, like Lemmings, just immediately decided man overboard. Last one at the bottom is a rotten egg because that's what we do. That's what we do, man. When the judges rattle their zipper, we come hither. Like the worst of groupies backstage at a rock concert. No shame whatsoever. And just like that, poof. Poof goes one of the essential issues in the 2016 election. Oh, I know they're before the Ninth Circuit. As the great prophet Nipsey Russell once said, right, good luck with that. And even if you win there, that is a loss. Because you are granting cert. You're granting the jurist, you're granting the premise that they have the jurisdictional authority to weigh in on this. So even when you win, you lose. So I could see the Ninth Circuit giving Trump his way now in exchange for thanks for giving us the jurisdictional precedent that we do have a say on this. We appreciate it. We'll take it from here. Because that's what we did on everything else. When they started railing against the First Amendment, you know what our side should have done? Not even shown up in court. 
I'm serious. I am not kidding. This is not a talk show shtick. Should not have even shown up. Or should have shown up, read an opening statement, and walked out. You have no jurisdictional authority here. Thanks for your time. We're moving on. Appreciate it. Or just released a statement to the media. Just not even showing up. How's it? Well, they hold you into contempt. So what? What's he going to do? What, what, what power and authority does a judge have to actually implement their policies? None. If that were not the case, then how come the media always asks our, our guys, are you going to abide by the judge's ruling? Um, if you're asking me if I'm going to abide by the judge's ruling, again, we're just doing simple logic. We'll get more in the weeds here later in this hour. But simple logic would seem to dictate that if you're asking me if I'm going to abide, that must mean, therefore, I have an option to do what, Aaron? Uh, not, a, not, not abide. abide. Not, you can only ask me if the option would be not to. I see what you're getting at here. Yeah, I see how that works. By the way, we have a group of people that are called law makers. Which branch are they in? You're right, the judiciary. No, that's not the branch they're in, guys. I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill, right? Remember watching it as kids? It's, this is not the way it works. This is not how any of this works. The American Revolution was supposedly all about no taxation without representation. Who knew that it was really about societal transformation without representation? That's what they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors for. Now, this is likely going to be a reoccurring theme in this presidency. Rest assured, I promise you. And this is not some edgy prediction. This is whatever this. In fact, Aaron should fire me. Because he knows low-lying fruit when he sees it in the prediction department. You got that right. All right. This is a lamer prediction than Aaron using Kansas City Chiefs preseason games on the Days Group on Fridays to get his prediction in. This is going to be really bad. Yes. <laughs> that's how bad it, That's how simple this is. Every single time Trump is serious about keeping a promise he made to you to change the status quo in government on anything the left is going to find a federal judge somewhere that says that is verboten, whether he or she has the jurisdiction to say so or not. Every time? Every time. Now, what does every mean in the original Greek, for those of you that are have your Strong's concordance there by the radio? Every means every time. Every single time. Every time. And you really cannot blame the left for doing this. Like, you can't really blame a, a bully for just asking you for your lunch money every day when you keep giving it to him. What, what are you teaching him? What are you conditioning? What are you coaching him? You've, you've, you've set the precedent that if he bullies you, you will give it up. So he will keep doing so. We have set the precedent that whatever their oracles from Delphi in black robes, whatever their black-robed tyrants decree... From the inner bowels of their nasal passages and the lint inside their navels. We will not only assume the position, but we will race each other to look at one another and say, Thank you, sir. May I have another? And then wax poetic and do three hour radio shows and get jobs as Fox News contributors. Lamenting that one sweet day when we have 60 U.S. senators and 400 members of the House and two-thirds of Republican governors and a Republican president who actually has a set, 
and seven justices out of nine on the Supreme Court. That one sweet day. Only then. Only then. That one sweet day. Alas, we will do all that crazy conservative stuff we sold all those books pimping for the last 30 years. But until that day, thus speaketh Zarahustra. I got nothing. The judge has spoken. That's all I can do. Pontius Pilate washes his hands of the matter once more, and we just move on down the line. Well, I thought this last election was supposed to change that. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. And you use the same bumper. I like that song. No wasted ammo. This is Steve Dace. Indeed, we are discussing the left's sledgehammer. And what could they possibly decree in a court? What, what assault against decency and what we believe in our, in our American values could they possibly decree from a court where we would finally say, enough? I guess the answer is nothing. You know, I'm reminded of a scene from the second best Star Trek movie ever made. Star Trek First Contact. And a Captain Jean-Luc Picard who's mad as hell and not taking it anymore. Has spent too many years as a Starfleet captain retreating from the Borg. And he says, They advance, we fall back. They advance, we fall back. They advance, we fall back. No more. The line must be drawn here. Why must the line be drawn there? Because they even went back in time now to stop humanity from ever getting into outer space in the first place. To never be a threat. So there was no more back door. There was no place else to retreat to. They were now going to alter the space-time continuum existence itself. So they had to fight. No more falling back. When the courts invented a new definition of the Establishment Clause and shredded the First Amendment of the Constitution and then decreed it nationwide, we fell back. When the courts invented a right to kill your own kid and then demanded mass slaughter, infanticide, the dismembering of innocent little babies, and when they decreed it nationwide, we fell back. When the courts invented a right for illegal aliens to have access to taxpayers' money and then decreed it nationwide, we fell back. When courts invented a right to confiscate private property, not just for eminent domain as the Constitution allows, but for now, private economic development. Hey, you don't need that century farm anymore. I've got some big-time party donors over here. They want a strip mall instead. When they decreed this in Kilo nationwide, We fell back. When courts invented a new definition of marriage and then decreed it nationwide, thus unleashing a further assault on the First Amendment now, we fell back. When courts invented a new definition for words like mandate and state exchanges and then decreed that nationwide, we fell back. When courts are now currently 
in the business of inventing a new definition of gender and decreeing it nationwide. Guess what we're doing? We're falling back. Well, some of you are trying to fight. But in the courts, we're falling back. And rest assured, if you get it right in Houston, like they did last year or in North Carolina, and if enough of you get it right, they'll just run to a federal judge and we'll fall back. Soon. Very, very soon. The courts are going to invent another new right. The right to immigrate to America. That is coming. Something wicked this way comes, it's coming. And very soon. And my guess is, unless Trump really is the reincarnation of Andrew Jackson, the bull in the china shop force of nature, so many of you would prefer him and believe him to be, we're just going to fall back from that too. So where will we draw the line? When will we draw the line? Exactly what insidious, ridiculous, feckless attack upon our way of life, our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness could the courts conjure up that would cause us to reject this progressive canard of judicial supremacy? What what could they do? They've wiped out a generation of American children. They're wiping out the definition of gender. They're wiping out the institution of marriage. Soon they will wipe away the border. Tell me what they could do then. Please, American, please tell me. Tell me. Tell me what it would take. Before the last syllable of our Constitution is erased by the courts for good, might there be some cause, somewhere, for us to once and for all say, you know what? You are welcome to your opinion, but you are not welcome to your own jurisdiction. Thank you. What would that be? It's not the killing of our own children. If it's not interfering in our ability to acknowledge our creator, our rights come from. It's not our own property. If it's not our own prosperity, might it be our own border? I don't know. Maybe it won't be. Maybe, maybe the answer is nothing. And no, the courts aren't going to wilt at the threat of being blasted by Trump on Twitter. Sorry. This is going to require a true reassertion of constitutionalism, of separation of powers, and political courage, because we are not a nation of laws. We should be, but we never really have been. I would make the argument in the history of this world, there's really only been one nation That was a nation of law. And it ain't us. It's that original city on the hill. We are a nation of political will. Always have been. Always will be. Because all free societies are nations of political will. Because the politicians and the political class... And then the ruling class and the judiciary will do whatever they can to rule until there is the political will to say no. Until there is the political will to throw the king's tea in the harbor. Until there is the political will to say, do not fire till you see the whites of their eyes. 
until there is the political will to say we have no king but Jesus. This is the way of things. Always has been, always will be. Until there is a group of modern-day Maccabees that just look at each other and say, hell no, 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 no. Hell to the no, 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 no. Someone, someone's going down tonight. We're not doing that, but thank you. No, hell no. Hell is exactly what you'll continue to get. <laughs> I don't know what else they can do. I don't know what else they could decree. Something tells me, though, we are going to find out. This is the branch the Founding Fathers intended to be the weakest of the three, if you read their writings in the Federalist Papers, given neither force nor will. And now it is not only the strongest of the three branches, it is the superior. It is one thing to be the strongest, it is another to be the superior. Superior means all others bow the knee, and now even the will of the people bow the knee to the courts. Well, Steve, what about judicial review? What about it? We will discuss that here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. The concept of so-called judicial review goes back to a Supreme Court case from 1803 known as Marbury versus Madison. Does not come from the Constitution. Now, I would be happy to argue the merits of Marbury with you. But it's irrelevant now. Judicial review as a concept, as a debate, is irrelevant. We're not even having that debate. We've, we've long gone past go, guys, and collected our $200, and we're heading straight to constitutional jail on the board. Because we are now talking about judicial overview. Overview. With the courts now not just advising and consenting on what is or is not constitutional. But now, they act as a perpetual, unelected constitutional convention instead. They not only advise and consent on what is or is not constitutional in their view, they then order their constitutional preference to be installed as the substitute policy in wanton disregard for the democratic voting process. See, this is why we threw the judges out in Iowa. It wasn't just because they ruled on marriage in a way that we did not approve of. The Iowa Constitution actually provides judicial review. It says it right in the Iowa Constitution. Judges are allowed to declare what is or what isn't constitutional. But the Iowa Constitution also says that the judges cannot then turn around and order their own public policy. The only public policy, the only enactment of law itself can only come from the legislature in our state. That's where the court went too far. It's not that they thought our view of the Defense of Marriage Act was unconstitutional. They have every right to say that, whether we agree or disagree. 
but then they should have done what was done in Massachusetts when the legislature remanded their ruling on on Goodridge back to the legislature because they did not have the power to change the law because John Adams wrote that constitution. So he headed them off at the pass. The legislature in Massachusetts was given a deadline to respond to the court's query. They never did. This left a constitutional no-man's land for Governor Mitt Romney, whether to enforce the original Defense of Marriage Act in a state or to enforce what the court ruled in Goodridge. He chose, not the court, Romney chose on his own to enforce the court opinion. He did this. That's what should have happened in my home state of Iowa, but it didn't. The courts then turned around and said, on April 20th, you will begin handing out marriage licenses to homosexuals. They don't have the power to do that. They became their own legislature, and that's why we said history in our state when we threw them out. That's what this judge here did. He has no power to stay our immigration policy. None. None. This is why the 214-year argument over Marbury versus Madison, you know, it's nice. I, lo- I long for the day we can argue about this again. That'll be great. That'll mean we've put a real dent going in the right direction. But today's not that day. I mean, the, the argument over Marbury is, is irrelevant, frankly. We're way past that now. You could have looked at John Marshall and the, and the generation of judges that gave us Marbury versus Madison, and they'd have been, what the hell? What are you doing? Independent judiciary used to mean independent of the other two branches to interpret the Constitution so that the people had a third means to have their grievances heard if they were ignored by the other two branches. That's what independent judiciary was meant to mean. It now means independent of the will of the people and the natural law to now rewrite, redact, revise the Constitution itself. Rendering a thumb up or down like Commodus in the movie Gladiator, Joaquin Phoenix, is is a metaphor for the courts in America. Just strolls out into the Amidali arena, thumb up, thumb down, and then so say we all. That's not, that's not a constitutional republic, folks. Not how this works. Heck, we've got federal judges now weighing in on when individual states have the right to defund Planned Parenthood in their own state budgets or not. That's happening right now. Federal judges are trying to tell states you can't defund Planned Parenthood. Where in the Sam Hill does the jurisdiction for a federal judge come from to tell a state what and what it can't budget? Tenth Amendment much? Answers nowhere. But see, this is what happens when you start a fire and you don't tend it. You don't tailor it. You don't tame it. This is why George Washington, this is why he compared government to fire. And where the fire is hottest right now is in the courts. This is going to be the test of whether or not Donald Trump is really the force of nature you think he is or the novelty act. I thought he was. Listening to Steve Dace. (laughs) 
Most of what we say is illegal in Europe. Get the truth while you still can. Steve Dace. See, what happened here is on Friday, Donald Trump officially became just another Republican president. Get rid of the cowbell, get rid of the persona, get rid of the demagoguery, get rid of the name calling, get rid of the reality TV show antics. And really what happened on Friday is he just became another Republican. Handcuffed from doing the people's will by a pernicious lie whose bluff we should have called a long time ago. The day after Roe, we should have never attempted to regulate abortion incrementally out of existence. We should have stood up the very next day and said, we don't accept the premise of this on its face. It's just that wicked. No. Here's our answer. No. No. That's what we should have done. But we didn't. And now we're in a position that even if we were, God bless us, able to overturn Roe, we would be looking at years of of regulatory challenges to the meaning of that. It'd still be a great win, but it wouldn't be the end of the war by a long shot. Strip away the cowbell, strip away the persona, strip away the fact that we now live in an era, and, and frankly, people like me are partially responsible for this. We, we've done this to you. I, we have to admit that. We have conditioned you to believe that if something annoys liberals, that makes it conservative, that makes it good. But we fail to recognize that pretty much everything good annoys liberals. So that's not much of a standard. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of it matters. It doesn't matter if you can, if you can play the press like a fiddle. And Trump does. And he does it well. It won't matter if you won't stand up to the courts. Press doesn't have any power. They really don't. Trump pulled their pants down, man. Called their bluff. Said, you know what? I don't think you got Big Slick sitting there. I kind of think you're probably holding Deuce 7 offsuit. I'm all in. And yeah, I don't have Big Slick either. I got like, you know, 810 suited. But I bet you my hand sucks. But I bet it's better than yours. So I'm all in. That's what he did. Got the results. We played it out November 7th and what happened? Usually, if you watch poker on TV, the guy with 810 offsuit ends up beating the guy with do seven. Okay. But this isn't the media. These are people that do have real power. The courts being permitted to trample all over their constitutionally imposed limits, they're really going to ultimately determine what kind of president Donald Trump is. Because they're going to pretty much determine what kind of president any Republican is. Because we go back to where we started this conversation. You can't blame the bully for taking your lunch money every day when you keep giving it to him. At some point, you need to say to that bully, you know what? I don't have any lunch money today. I brought my own lunch, and it's a knuckle sandwich, yo. Here, I'll share it with you. And until you're willing to do that, nothing will change. 
Won't matter how many Remember I told you, guys, this guy's a Bush appointee that we're talking about. As were most of the judges that struck down our marriage laws. This entire industry is toxic. Even most of the good guys aren't. They're just not as toxic. But they're carriers of this progressive, starry, decisis, rules over all. Whatever the judges say is the law contagion nonetheless. During the election, many of you listening to this tonight, you tried to convince me that despite all of his ideological and and moral peccadilloes, I should vote for Trump because he had the chutzpah. He had shown he had the chutzpah to challenge the system, to call it on its own horse, Pucky, to call its bluff like he did the media. Well, here's his chance. Here's the chance Trump has to prove you right. Because if he's not willing to do that, then none of the things that you like he elected you to do, or you elected him to do, none of them will stand. If Betsy DeVos attempts to implement any of the education choice into the Department of Education, think the left is going to say, oh man, that sucks, we lost, you know, 51-50, we lost her confirmation vote today, I guess we'll just wait to the, no, no, they won't wait to the next election, guys. She attempts to implement any of that, you're going to be in federal court in three minutes. And they'll just keep finding a judge until the judge says the Department of Education can't do that. They'll nullify everything. So the good news is, if Trump punts here, the good news is, the courts will keep giving him further opportunities to take a stand. But this is going to decide the Trump presidency. And frankly, it was going to decide the presidency of any Republican that got elected. Because this is the game now. The game is, it's played out in the courts. Where we can't win. Where it's heads I win and tails you lose. We can't win there, ever. We'll just keep going left. We're always the road team there. And they own all the referees too, and they bought them all off. So we got to play this on neutral territory, guys. But it's going to take some politicians, maybe even one with a pretty big bully pulpit like a presidency, uh, in order to have the temerity, the chutzpah, the testicular fortitude to say, uh, homie's not playing that anymore, but thank you. I'm out. You'll be doing this one on your own. I'm not going along with it. I don't care how much you wail. I don't care how many teeth get gnashed. I don't care how many guys. I don't care if the entire crew on the, today, on the damn Today Show tomorrow is wearing, is wearing sackcloth. Yet. I'm not showing up. No. Not playing there. We'll play it out here in the realm of public opinion where the, where the people decide. That's where we're going to play it out. Because that's what this was intended to be. So this is Trump's chance. Nothing's more anti-populist than having unelected judges nullify the elections by the will of the people. So is Trump going to take it? Or is he going to be your champion? We'll find out. You're listening to Steve Dace.
You can agree with him or you can be wrong. It's a free country. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So I told you I thought this was a very important moment in the Trump presidency, which is why I set aside this entire hour to discuss it. So, gentlemen, uh, you have sat here staving off sleep uh, for the last uh, 45 minutes while I have been uh, ranting about this. So your thoughts on what we were just discussing. You're absolutely right that this is going to be the defining issue of Trump's candidacy. And I'm glad that you threw in towards the end of that segment, the last segment, that this was going to be the defining moment or the defining issue of any Republican presidency. Look, what was what were the last few words that Donald Trump said during his oath, his president during his inauguration? It would be protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. It is not only incumbent upon him. It's not something nice that he could do if he could stand up to judges. It is his freaking job to stand up to them. Foreign and domestic enemies of the Constitution. This is really simple. Is somebody is somebody wanting to do something that goes against the Constitution, or is somebody uh, like positing something that goes against the Constitution? Yes. Are they actually carrying this out? Yes. Well, then that's uh, contrary to the Constitution, and it's prevented. And you you laid all this out earlier in the hour. It is incumbent upon our president to protect the Constitution. He has to do this. This is not just an optional thing. He must do this. Otherwise, and again, I'll bring this up multiple times during Trump's presidency, the people around him always need to lay this out. I mean, understanding this is one thing, but lay this out to him as affecting his legacy. They always need to do it. I'll make it all about Trump and tell him, hey, this is going to ruin you eventually because you're not going to be able to keep any of the promises that you set out to do. Here's the thing, though. Judge, uh, lawyers, judges, they go all the way through law school without studying the Constitution. We've also talked on the show how uh, history majors no longer need to take American history. I mean, we talk about that word, the Constitution, and not, we broadly, not just the show, all the time. But the simple fact of the matter, Steve, is that we're at the point where we're almost like at a Josiah-level re- revival that's required. You just stumble upon these buried words, this holy book that have been lost. You know, oh, I mean, we are... So it's it, yes, we have cowards, of course. Yes, we have many people posing as conservatives who aren't. But th- also, there are just many people who are decent Americans. They do have a sense that the country is lost, but they really have no sense when they say that word what they empowered with. No, they don't. They don't, and that that and it goes back to what could they do? Tell me what they could do. What, what could they do that we would say no, that we would refuse, that we would say you're not allowed to do that? It violates the, the Constitution. It violates common decency. You can't do that. What could they possibly conjure up that we would refuse? At this rate, we will never find well, out. That's exactly my point. If you don't understand the Constitution actually gives you the power, forget you. The answer is nowhere. You're listening to Steve Dace. You 
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget to let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We are joined by, I think, one of the best bloggers uh, and columnists in the country. Matt Walsh from The Blaze joins us now. And Matt, it's good to have you back, brother. How are you? Doing great. Great to be here. So you've got, I think, a, uh, and I love the provocative pieces you write over there, the the provocative uh, headlines that uh, often accompany your pieces. Do you usually submit those, or do the people over the blaze come up with those headlines? Oh, yeah, those are all mine. Those are, uh, and they're, they're nice enough to let me roll with whatever crazy headline I come up with. So. Will you do a good job of, and I mean this, even though this is nowadays considered mostly a pejorative because of this last election, you have some of the best clickbaiting headlines out there without them actually being clickbait, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, they, they really, they, they provoke a response. And unlike a lot of clickbait, when you click on it, there's not, there's no there there. Your headlines do a great job of bringing people in to want to read the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. But before we continue on, I've got to test your metal a little bit, Matt. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so, over the weekend, Vice President Mike Pence said on national television that he never asked, even though Trump asked him to vet Neil Gorsuch, his Supreme Court nominee, that Pence never asked him about his views on Roe v. Wade. To me, that's either an incredulous lie. Or it is incredulous malfeasance on Pence's part. And I did a Twitter poll of this yesterday, and thankfully only 27% of the people on Twitter actually believe uh, that that's true. uh, That he actually didn't ask Neil Gorsuch about his views on Roe v. Wade. Are you buying that? Because if I was George Stephanopoulos, I'd have grabbed an umbrella when I got that answer, I'd have grabbed an umbrella and said, hey, Mike, put your zipper up. It ain't raining in here. I'm not buying that. Okay, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, there's just no way. I mean, there's no way. Mike Pence, of all people. I mean, if this was still Vice President Cheney or something, then maybe I could believe it. But uh, obviously, we know that this is one of the essential issues of our time, I would say. And you would say the essential issue of our time. Mm-hmm. We know that Mike Pence feels the same way. Uh, he said as much. I and mean, he said as much at the March for Life only a week before. So the idea that he wouldn't ask is just, uh, it's a total lie. It's unfortunate that he's lying. I don't, I don't think we should give him a pass on that. Um, and I'm not sure what the point of the lie is. It's not like, does he think he's going to fool? Are we going to fool the liberals into believing that Gorsuch is, you know, has no opinion about abortion or, or whatever? It's not going to work anyway. Even if it did, you still shouldn't lie. So I'd say it's an absolute lie and, and a needless one on top of that. Yeah, I... I'm I'm with you. Lying's bad. Okay, I mean, unless you're Corey Ten Boom hiding hiding Jews from the Nazis or Rahab the harlot, lying is bad, right? So I'm with you on that. But in politics, you can see sometimes why people lie. But but this is, I mean, this is the number one sacrament of progressivism 
the 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 killing of children. It, I mean, is this is this is their Eucharist, Matt? Okay, so the idea that if you if you don't tell the truth to George Stephanopoulos on a Sunday morning show, then Neil Gorsuch will just skate by his confirmation hearings, and it'll never come up, and no Democrat will ask about it. Is inc- that that's just as incredulous to me? That's all they're going to ask about. That's going to be the entire confirmation hearing is asked and answered, Your Honor, his views on Roe v. Wade. So I don't know what you hope to accomplish accomplished by this deception it's not like it's not going to come up anyway yeah i would say it's uh, that along with gay marriage i'd say those two are going to dominate the, the hearings for sure uh and yeah this but this is a pattern obviously of behavior among republicans that's been going on for decades now where they think that if they just leave the issue alone don't talk about it pretend it's not happening that the liberals will do the same and it, it never works that way. Liberals will come out, as you say, it is their, it is their sacrament. I would say it's almost the, it's, it's almost rather than, I would say their Eucharist is actually birth control and maybe their, their baptism in this perverse satanic way is, is abortion, but whatever it is, it's a sacrament to them. So they're going, they're going to stay focused on it. And it's, it's just, you know, it's the pattern that we saw even back with, uh, remember the convention where, uh, where Republicans didn't say a word about abortion. Made, made maybe one mention to the, to the life of the unborn, if they even said that much. And then, um, and then we get to the Democrats, and they're pulling, you know, Cecile Richards up on stage. They have the president of uh, NARAL up there. They're talking about abortion left and right. Um, so there's this, this strategy that Republicans have employed that is just it hasn't worked. It's never going to work, and it still isn't working. Are you worried about what Neil Gorsuch is going to say? regarding Roe v. Wade at his confirmation hearings, because we kind of know where he's at on a lot of our issues as a judge, but his record is ominously silent on this. We know what he wrote about end-of-life issues in a book. He has an advocate that I think uh, very highly of in Robbie George, the conservative professor at Princeton, who is uh, one of the masterminds of the so-called personhood strategy, which I'm an advocate of as a pro-life activist, and he vouches for Gorsuch. So that's a pretty powerful character witness, I would say. But judicially, he has almost no record on this at all. Are you concerned he's going to go up there and say, yeah, Roe is law of the land, go John Roberts on us? Because I'm sort of dreading it myself. What about you? Of course, I'm, I'm certainly dreading it. Uh, I, I am worried about it. I never have any confidence. Look, I don't have confidence in anyone until they, especially not <laughs> politicians and judges, until they prove that I should. Uh, so, yeah, I am worried about it. it. It would be, I would be relatively surprised, if not somewhat shocked, if he actually got up there and just wholesale endorsed Roe v. Wade. Uh, if for no other reason than, well, there's two things. Number one, his, his credentials are that of a, supposedly that of a, of a so-called originalist. And so even if he doesn't personally have any convictions about abortion, he must at least know that there is no right to abortion in the Constitution. So at least on that, and, and, and that's all he, by the way, for a Supreme Court justice, that's all they need to believe. They don't need to be pro-life. They, they just need to actually be constitutionalists, and they can say, look, it's not in the Constitution. Um, it, it would be nice if they went a bit further and also said that, oh, that, you know, that there is, there is a, there's an inherent right to life in the Constitution. But as long as they can overturn Roe v. Wade, I think we're good. Um, so there's that, and, all, and, and the fact that he's uh, opposed to euthanasia, it, it's hard for me to believe. I'm not aware of a case of anyone who is opposed to euthanasia and not to abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things together, I, I think there's a reason for some optimism, but yeah, it, it is a glaring um, 
omission right now in his record, and, and I'm worried about it. I don't know. The life issue is the uh, is the topic of your latest column over at the Blaze, and I love this headline. If we call unborn babies fetal refugees, would leftists care about them? That that is that is such a poke in the eye headline that I have got to believe you received a slew of ready fire aim trolling from the left just on the headline before they even read your piece. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you, you can always uh, you can always. Count, count on that happening on, on just on a on a reaction based entirely on the on the title without reading the, the case that I make because I try to lay it out in in this is not just uh, I'm trying to be shocking I, I really I, I believe that there's that there's a comparison to be made here and I try to lay it out um, the, but the other reaction aside from just the immediate controlling is uh, what I expected to get which is well you're the accusation that I'm the reverse of that uh, I'm you know, like we, we hear that well I you're pro-birth, but once the baby's born, you don't care about them anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, isn't it a contradiction to be in favor of uh, the pro-life position, yet to believe that we should scrutinize refugees when they come? So they'll try to flip it around. But there is, there is no contradiction there. You know, that that's the point. That, 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 there is no contradiction that exists on that end of the spectrum for a number of reasons, not the least of which being I'm not advocating... It's, it's it's not as though the choices are let the refugees in without vetting them or kill them, because if those are the two choices, if we had no other choice but if but let let them in or kill them, I would say well then we have to let them in obviously because we can't murder them. But there's a, there's a third option, which is to put them in line, uh, and then go through a process where they're vetted, and if they prove dangerous, to not allow them in. But even then, we're not killing them. So on abortion, I, I think this is so obvious. Our only choices are let them in to to, to existence. Uh, into the world, into the country, if you will, or kill them. Those are our only two options that exist. And clearly, to directly kill someone is is not an okay option. So it's there's a very basic point, but um, when it comes to the pro-life position, all of our points are really basic and obvious, so we're just constantly repeating them over and over again. Matt Walsh is here with us from The Blaze. Uh, we're talking about uh, the most recent uh, entry he has up there. If we call unborn babies fetal refugees, would leftists care about them? And the hypocrisy that uh, that Matt was just noting is not the only one in this argument. There's another. And I want to get Matt's take on that when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Exceeding your low expectations, the Steve Day Show. Back here with Matt Walsh from the Blaze. His most re- recent entry: If we call unborn babies fetal refugees, would leftists care about them? So you were pointing out uh, some of the hypocrisies in this debate. Here's another one, Matt. If we indeed are such a racist homophobic, misogynistic, sexist nation, as, as the left claims. If we are all of those things, if we're this terrible, why do they want to subject waves of foreigners to a country they loathe? I mean, if, if, this, if this is such a bad, bad place, why do you want to inflict 
more pain upon the upon the global citizenry by bringing them here and subjecting them to these United States? Wouldn't they be better off if we are really all those things? Uh, and and having a global progressive perspective is is really the is the it thing. Wouldn't these people then just be better off where they are if we're really this bad? Yeah, so it would be an act of great mercy to uh, exclude them from the country. Building that wall is is for their own sake, but keeping them away from this <laughs> cesspool of bigotry and hate. Um, yeah, there's 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 it, it, that's been an interesting thing that's happened uh, among liberals in the last few weeks. Is that all of a sudden they're speaking of America in these glowing terms and it's a beacon of hope and light for all mankind, and they're not even not even saying that. Not even talking about now, but they're going back and saying that our history is that of a country that allows these people in and shows compassion and warmth towards them. Um, so it's very, very different from what we're used to hearing from liberals, and, and, and in fact, from what I was what I was taught in public school by the liberal public school system. So that's an interesting thing. And then, and then on top of it, you know, in the comparison between the abortion issue and this one, the only you know what what's the argument that they make in favor of? illegal immigration and allowing these refugees in without vetting them. The argument that they make is, number one, it's a moral, I think it's a misguided moral argument, but it's a moral argument. It's not, you know, it's not like, for the most part, they don't claim that, oh, well, we would benefit from this financially. They might say that sometimes about illegal immigration, but really it's, you know, it doesn't matter if this is inconvenient to us. It doesn't matter if this is a burden on us. It doesn't even matter if if it will make us less safe. The, The point is that we have a moral obligation to these people, and we have a moral obligation to them because they are human beings, and and uh, you know they, they, because they're human being, human beings, they deserve certain treatment. So again, you see where they can make this argument, where it's kind of a stretch to apply it, but then they can't see how it applies to to babies. And not only that, but they where they make the moral argument with refugees and immigration, they suddenly reject on principle any kind of moral argument when it comes to uh, when it comes to babies. So it's a, it's it's a really interesting dichotomy. I thought this portion of your of your latest piece at the Blaze. I, I thought this this segment really articulated what you were just trying to say. They say, this is quoting you, they say, the the left, that an American citizen has a greater responsibility to an immigrant from Mexico or a refugee from Syria than to her own child. They believe that screening someone at an airport is a far worse outrage than decapitating them in the womb. They believe that an adult has a right to illegally enter the country across the border, but not through the birth canal as nature intended. This seems such... This seems like a glaring dichotomy, like that you literally have to be mind-numbed to not see your blind spot here, and yet they don't. Why? Yeah, it, it, I think, uh, well, as far as why they don't, I don't know if they really don't see it or not. I think you have to uh, you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to overlook some of these contradictions. But, you know, here's the thing I talk about all the time with the, with the, with the so-called morality of the left is that it's a very easy and kind of hands-off morality. So um, if, if, if they were to admit that we have uh, a, an obligation to the children that we conceive, then that, 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 that admission turns into a claim on them and on their own lives. And then, and then they have to go even further and admit that you know, there's certain responsibilities attached to the sexual act, which they don't want to do. So if you if you start going down that road, then all of a sudden you have to, you have to alter your lifestyle and the way that you do things um, according to it. But 
to just sort of say, oh, yeah, refugees, immigrants, you know, uh, I'm worried about that. Uh, you know, animals in Africa, you know, the lion is shot. It's a big tragedy. So all these, not that I'm comparing animals to refugees, but I'm just saying, uh, these are all things that are so disconnected from them that it doesn't really require anything of them. So they can just say, yeah, 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 let them in. And that, and that is a stand-in for their morality because they don't have to do anything. You know, it's just, it's just you can be pro-refugee and just sit at your house and type angrily on Twitter. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you don't have to adjust your lifestyle at all. But any kind of moral code that requires them to adjust their lifestyle, that's where they draw the line. But the interesting thing is that that's the only time that morality means anything. There's no such mm-hmm. thing as a collective morality. It's only what you. It's a, morality is a is a is a it's a it's a personal claim. So you know we, we don't we don't um, fulfill our moral obligations as a collective. We fulfill them personally, and that's where they refuse to do it. Everything you just said is right out of Romans one. I mean, that, you just whether that was intention intentional on your part or not, you just gave a sermon essentially. I mean, the idea that uh, exchanging the truth for a lie and and being given over to your own depraved mind, the searing of conscience, uh, because you are so wanton in your disregard for what God says is right or wrong, that that your conscience is now seared. That you are you become a people that delights in creating new ways to do evil and in encouraging others to do the same. You suppress the truth in your unrighteousness because you know the truth. It's been plainly revealed to you, but you don't want to be held accountable to it. You don't want to have to acknowledge it. And like a child who says to their parent, yes, my room is clean because I threw everything under the bed or in the closet. Uh, you just think, well, if I just ignore God's law, then it, will, it won't it will pertain to me and will go away with that sort of magical thinking. That's right out of Romans 1, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, And I could just really just quote that, and there's no point, there's no real reason for me to elaborate upon it. Because I think it's all, it's all summed up pretty well there. But I, I do think what, what the, the, the fundamental issue with this is you know, one of the fundamental issues where liberals struggle uh, is, you know, who are we, where do our obligations lie? You know, who, who, how does it work exactly? And that's where you get into the, you know, the principles of, of sort of subsidiarity and, and that, that our, you know, our responsibilities are all, are all localized. So we should, our first responsibility is to our own family and to our own children, and then it works out from there. And then our next responsibility is to our community and then to our state, and then to on a, on a much broader scale our, our nation, and then and then to the to the world and to the planet. But only after you've met your your obligations before that. Whereas liberals want to pass right by all of that and get right to the world, um, which again means that they don't really have to do anything. So I think that's the that's maybe one of the fundamental distinctions I would think between, or at least that one that used to be one of the fundamental distinctions between liberalism and conservatism. Check him out online at theblaze.com. Matt Walsh, always good to talk to you, brother. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, a lot was said there, including, Todd, one of your favorite words, subsidiarity. I think Todd wants to, I think if, if you could talk the missus into a fifth daughter, you'd name her subsidiarity. I mean, this is one of Todd's favorite terms. Uh, so you, I saw Todd, I saw out of the corner of my eye, Todd, I saw Todd sit straight up when Matt dropped the subsidiarity bomb a few minutes ago. But uh, there, there is a lot of, uh, of, of, of fat to chew in the conversation that uh, Matt Walsh and I just had because it, it, and it goes to the, the heart of why, why ultimately this is a worldview issue. Why, why we, cannot, we cannot save a society based on God-given rights without in obedience to God's given law. We'll talk more about that in a moment.
listening to Steve Dace. The new benchmark in broadcast mediocrity, Steve Dace. the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Matt Walsh. Because there's a lot we could discuss during the course of that conversation. Todd, let me start with you. Well, it's unfortunate that so much brain power has got to be spent talking about uh, the contradictions of the left. And the real key is since they don't care that they exist it's some it's ultimately for us and how to move us to uh action how to become fed up enough that we are tired of the scam and and that's really one of the, the biggest concerns i have moving forward with with donald trump as president it, it ultimately it people and this is why subsidiarity is so important explain what subsidiarity is one more time but just as he said it it always what needs to be done whatever needs to be done should be done at the lowest level of human organization possible and as he said that starts out with the individual and the family and it proceeds from there to the community the church the city the federal government and, and, is the very last and where where does the, let me give the event well where's that in the bible um well uh, go ye into all the world preaching them the commands i have given you right uh first to where okay uh, to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to all the world. That is the notion of beginning in your own backyard first. Then well, you expand beyond that, and then beyond that, and, and then beyond that. That's, that's, that's the Great the, Commission, guys. It's the order of creation, too. God created yes. the individual, and then he gave uh, Eve to Adam, and um, that was the, the family, and, and so on and so forth as well. And so yeah, there is a new sheriff in town with Donald Trump. And as you've talked with uh, uh, regularly about the principle of headship, Steve, that's a huge deal. But if we have no intention uh, as Americans, and if we have no intention, quite frankly, as as whatever a conservative is, to truly embrace subsidiarity, to make that one of our bottom lines and not an accidental default— Ultimately, whatever Donald Trump or any else, anybody else does isn't going to matter. We have got to have that fire in the belly to own what is ours, to, be, to want to be held responsible in the arena. I'll call my shot, and you can hold me accountable. Do we desire that? All too often, the answer clearly is no. I thought Matt pointing out how easy this is, how easy, Aaron, progressive uh, pearl clutching is, just to put out a tweet give a speech, I did something, I care, be in a commercial, right? And doesn't require any, and, and somehow that is almost a form of, of penance. And now I can just go back to being the moral reprobate that I was. I did something good, right? And in the end, since I'm not a child molester, uh, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm not Osama bin Laden or Adolf Hitler, I get to go to heaven because the good outweighs the bad, right? I thought he really explained well the temptation to be sucked into this world, particularly for a generation like yours that's the first generation that's really ever had the whole world in the palm of their hands, mm-hmm. in, in, in the form of a phone, and the ability to communicate and to exist 
instantaneously, that has to be awfully tempting that just that sort of convenient atonement that doesn't really result in anything. Yeah, the, the, the huge task that my generation uh, has ahead of itself uh, is one that's, you know, it's really easy. It's only, you know, reasserting natural law. And I've said this many times before, anything outside the boundaries of natural law is insanity. It really is. Well, you may say, well, if I, you know, tell one lie, that doesn't mean I'm insane. Well, I say it's insanity because the natural conclusion, if you uh, really want to extrapolate this, if you just uh, tell lies all of the time, we call you a pathological liar. You steal once, oh, you may think that's not a big deal. You steal all of the time, you have kleptomania. Anything outside the natural law is insane. We have to reassert the natural law, but we have to first start by defining that, because I had a conversation with a fellow millennial who thought natural law was the laws of physics and the laws of gravity. That's what it means to a lot of people nowadays, but the natural law for uh, however many years up until uh, the origin of species and Darwinism and evolution, the theory of evolution, natural law to uh, most scholars and theologians meant that uh, people knew a law on their heart that just they thought it came naturally. We have got so far away from that. We have uh, tumbled down the ravine outside the boundaries of the natural law, and this is where we are right now. So that's that's the biggest thing that we need to, not this utilitarian ethic, but the ethic, a transcendent ethic that uh, that comes from uh, a transcendent source that would be the Bible and God's Word. And, and the inconvenient truth of everything that you just said, Aaron, the inconvenient truth of the natural law is, and it goes back to what I was just talking about with Matt, just because you have forgotten about it, just because you don't acknowledge it, just because you were never taught it, doesn't mean it went away. Doesn't mean it's not in effect. Doesn't mean it's still not a self-enforcing mechanism. All those things are still true. Regardless of what your estrangement from that law may be. We have to make the case that it's better to live within those constraints. The case can be made. The question is, do you want to hear it? Yeah. Listening to Steve Dace. We don't play for a team, we fight for the truth. You're listening to Steve Dace. I got to get something off my chest here for a few minutes because I am, I, I struggle with this. You guys know this. It's one of my weaknesses, one of my many weaknesses. I, I, I just, I, I can't watch self-immolation. I can't handle it. Right? I just, I want to fix it. Don't. No. All right. I can't handle it. I, I am watching our industry just go Hare Krishna right now. I just, it's just, let me explain. Aside from the fact he is incredibly thin-skinned and can take no criticism at all, we stipulated, right? No one would deny that about Donald Trump. No one. Right. Well, unless Except for Donald Trump. <laughs> I, I, I got to believe there's even people in Trump cult that are like, dude's kind of thin-skinned. I mean, seriously. It's just obvious and apparent. Okay. That's, you know, aside, set that aside. That's a given part of this equation, right? That's a given. There's a reason he keeps picking fights, him and his White House, 
keep picking fights with the media, even stupid ones. Even stupid ones. It's the same reason the Harlem Globetrotters keep scheduling the Washington Generals, guys. And I think we know who's who in this allegory. It reminds me of when Buddy Ryan was on the very first ever Fox NFL Sunday, the year they got the NFL for the first time. And Jimmy Johnson had just gotten fired in the offseason by Jerry Jones. And Buddy Ryan was their first big interview as head coach. I think it was the Cardinals or the Eagles at the time. And and he was talking about the reason he was going to miss, he was really going to miss Jimmy Johnson. And like, why are you going to miss Jimmy Johnson? Do he won the last two Super Bowls? Well, Buddy Ryan had Jimmy Johnson's number. I mean, this team's played really well against Jimmy. Sometimes, guys, somebody says your number. And Buddy Ryan linked in the camera and says, well, I mean, I'm going to miss Jimmy Johnson for the same reason you miss that racquetball partner. You know, you can beat every week. That's why I'm going to miss him. Right? So what I'm about to say, I don't believe, I don't think Trump is capable of eighth dimensional chess. That's not to mean that I think he's dumb. I think he's extremely clever. I just don't think he's very intelligent. Some people are very intelligent and not very clever. Some people are very clever and not very intelligent. Like, I don't think he's a deep enough thinker to analyze four or five scenarios at once. I think Trump's the guy that when he sits down at the poker table, you're not sure what hand he has. And he likes it that way, right? But he's not the guy that sits down at the chess table and thinks, oh, that's the Corbinite maneuver. I think I know nine turns from now. Which, no, I don't think that's him, okay? And, and if you don't even know what the Corbinite maneuver is, it's the first ever episode of the Star Trek original series. That's my whole point. Oh, I just thought you made that up. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> I didn't just make it up. It doesn't even apply to my illustration. Very few people are clever and intelligent. Most people are one or the other. Most people are, and, and even gifted people are usually gifted in one or the other. It's a unique intellect that can do both. All right? Trump is extremely clever. That's why he's a gifted con man. And when I say that, oh, you're, I don't even think that's a put down. It's just, it's what he's done. He's good at it. Made him a billion dollars. Got him elected president of the United States. And, what it, and, and any gifted con man knows a sucker. Knows who the sucker in the room is. Right? When the, when the lion walks into the, when the, lion walks into the, into the jungle, he knows who the antelope is. He can see a sucker. And when you got a sucker on the hook... Just keep selling them and selling them and selling them and selling them because it's always easier to upsell a sucker than it is to go find a new sucker. So I don't think this is eight-dimensional chess. I think this is a guy who is an extremely gifted con man that realizes he's got a mark on the hook, essentially a pinata, that he is free to whack at whenever he needs a slump buster. And the media, like a bunch of Trumpovian dogs, every time he, every time he rings the bell... They come a-running. And in response, I saw you tweeting about this last night during the show, Todd. Katie Turr is literally one of the best reporters. And uh, granted, that may be a low bar. Okay. Granted. Katie Turr is one of the best reporters I, I thought I saw in this last election. She was on television last night talking about, is Trump going to order journalists to be killed like his buddy Putin? I mean, because they can't stop... Even when he, so because now that Katie's gone there, 
Trump's off the hook for his for 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 this news cycle. He's off the hook for saying we kill people too because you couldn't help going cray crayer. You couldn't help yourself. The moth could not stay away from the flame. The fly couldn't cease hovering over the stink. It had to land. And so now it's like he never even said that. There's a reason why he keeps picking fights with you, even dumb ones. Because he can't lose. You literally can't beat him. Because he's the first politician, and it's not because he's some unique badass. Lots of politicians could have done what Trump has done. They just didn't have the shamelessness, the temerity, the chutzpah to do it. It's real hard to lose an argument. Look how Trump is the most unpopular new president we have ever had in the history of the Gallup polling. But in that same Gallup polling, the media is like 20 some odd points less popular. I'm just telling you right now, any highly trained primate couldn't lose a fight to an entity. They are that much more popular than you can't lose, guys. You, you win by showing up. You win by being on the field. You win. You win. You stand next to them. You win. It's over. You won. You can't win an argument with him. You're never taking him down. He could shoot someone in the face in cold blood. Most of the people that you would try to show the film to wouldn't believe you. You could literally have him on camera giving Putin the nuclear launch codes. Most of America would think that he was just trolling you to expose your own and you fell for it again. That's the reality of your industry. He's killing you. You're really the only thing, maybe the only thing he's got going right now. The best thing he's got going for sure. This is why he picks these fights. Because as much as Americans don't like and don't trust, including, by the way, a lot of people that voted for Trump don't like him, don't trust him. They hated Hillary Clinton. A lot of Americans don't like and don't trust Trump, but they don't like and they don't trust you even more. Listening to Steve Dace. For such a time as this, Steve Dace. Todd, is our industry capable of learning the lesson I just tried to teach? I I literally just tried to perform an intervention. Are they, are they capable of receiving this message? Because, you know, right after the election, they invited people like me to come on and do interviews and be on their shows. What did we miss? And we gave them this message. I wasn't the only one. Lots of people were in the media giving them this message. And it seems like they listened to it for like a day. Right? It was like a New Year's resolution to like January 2nd. And then you came home from work on January 3rd, didn't feel like making dinner, ordered pizza, and then said, you know what, throw in, throw in the cookie, too. And, then just, and it's like the New Year's resolutions just never happen, and you're right back to, you know, the dog returns to its own vomit. Are they just incapable of understanding what I'm trying to say? Yes. And I've had that conversation in various degrees for 12 years as a reporter, uh, the Des Moines Register, and they, they look at you like... 
you know, like, like the a, Jehovah Witnesses do. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. When you ask him, do they? Hey, do you know who Charles Tazzy Russell is? Uh, what, what, what? He's only the founder of your, of your fake religion. Never heard of him. And, and they go right back into their spiel, right? Yeah. Okay. And in terms of a specific example, this is playing out right now with this uh, Kellyanne Conway thing. This it, is day four of this. Yeah, of that. And what was obviously, you know, I, it, a massacre didn't happen, but these people were planning a massacre. So I don't really, you know her. I, she just misspoke. Should have called them the, the, the would-be massacres or whatever. That Kellyanne seems, Conway has said things on behalf of Donald Trump that have made me cringe. Yeah, and this is not one yeah, of them. This is, and like you said, it, it would, of course, the press, I would, yeah, when you do, when you say something that's sloppy, Count on this press to point it out, and you just write it off as a, if it's day one. Like you said, day four, they can't stop themselves. They are as certain of your righteousness as you are of whatever degree you think you uh, believe in God, Jesus, the Constitution, whatever it is. That's one thing. If you don't give them credit their for that, their sanctimonious superiority is their is their religion. Is yes, what you're saying? Absolutely. That's the shibboleth. That they they will not. You will pry that idol from their cold and soon to be dead yeah. fingers. And trust me, journalism was going to have a hard time, no no matter what. You know, print journalism, but it wouldn't have had such a hard time if it was truly what journalism is supposed to be. Balance. They would rather take the economic hit that they take for being biased than be straight down the middle. That's how much they believe in their cause. Yeah, the fact that you have to ask this question months after the election that uh, all of them all of them were predicting that Donald Trump was going to get beaten and beaten badly and that the fact that you have to ask this question now means that they're not capable and they do not want to change as Todd I, pointed out. Clear. It just they, gets worse. Uh, yeah. And per- it's February 7th and it just gets worse every day. They are sold out to progressivism, literally sold out. Then they're played out. They're played out. I mean, he's that's that's the bottom line. Hour three is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up, another year where this trend in Hollywood continued and it's very seldom reported on. And we'll get to that here at the bottom of the hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. 
Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is indeed that time of the night. It is three questions. Our producer, Aaron, gets to ask us any three things about any three things. There is absolutely nothing off limits, but there is one hard and fast rule. He he has to answer the same questions, too. That's how we keep him in check around it. Thank you, Steve. And a reminder, if you have a question you would like uh, considered for asking here on the three questions uh, part of the program, you can send it to Aaron at SteveDace.com, like Steve Heverin, who asks, if nothing else at all happened between now and November of 2020, would you vote for Donald Trump? Cue the reaction from Todd. I don't even want to think about 2020. You 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 took the words right out of my mouth, brother. (laughs) Uh, in the spirit of three questions, I can entertain this. But yeah, I and I, I am dead serious. I plan on not talking about this at all because it's just a lost cause. Uh, but I, the answer for me would be no. Uh, there, there. Even the even the best decisions right now, uh, as Steve already talked about to the day today uh, on the matter of the courts and anything he does, immigration or otherwise, we have no idea if it's just going to be sound and fury amounting to nothing. The judge appointment, same thing. So until I see a level of follow-through that we have every right to predict won't happen, not because it's Donald Trump, because it's just been the status quo, I'm going with no. agree with every word of that. I think it's too early to answer that question. I mean, there are some positive trend lines. There are some that are not positive, frankly. But ultimately, until those, trend, until those positive trend lines develop into positive substance, not talking points, Substance, Like, I, I'm confident that Jeff Sessions will do good things as attorney general. Maybe he won't, you know. Maybe we'll learn the lesson of headship again, and maybe he'll try Maybe he'll, he'll wish to go into some of the areas that we would want an attorney general to do, and, and President Trump will say no. Or maybe he won't. Maybe he'll say, you know what, this is your kingdom. Uh, you know, have at it. Enjoy your arcade, your playground. You know, I'm, I'm going to play golf and make more red hats. I, that might ha- we don't know, guys. It's, it's week three. There are some positive trend lines. I will say this. There are more positive trend lines than I thought there was going to be. But there are still several of the ominous trend lines that I always thought there was going to be. So, you know, it's, it's like Fox News. When, when Theresa May was here last week, or was, was she here or was Trump there? I can't remember. When her and Trump were doing a joint appearance. And they were comparing it to Thatcher and Reagan. I'm like, dude, slow your roll. All Thatcher and Reagan did is save Western civilization from the Soviet Union. Could we maybe see what Theresa May and Donald Trump will do for, I don't know, six months? Can we, see, can we get a six month same as cash? Can we get a six months, you know, your money back, free trial? See if it w- Let's see. Let's give them six months before we compare them to two of the arguably three or four most important people of the entire damn 20th century. All right, along with Churchill, FDR, and Pope John Paul II. Do you think? Do you think? Maybe. Just, just six months and see what it looks like. No wonder we don't take on the courts. That's, look how easily we are tickled by crap like that. Well said. I'm going to go so far with the no. They, uh, I would agree with everything that's said. I mean, there's some positive tra- trend lines, uh, but not enough to where I still have uh, faith and, and trust that my vote going to Donald Trump will, uh, will not come back to bite me in the butt uh, later on. 
Question two. What's the worst thing you've had to do because you lost a bet? Oh, what is the worst thing I've had to do because I lost a bet? Well, I... I have. I'm trying to think because I am. I I'm usually pretty good about only making bets that I th- know I'm going to win. But one time, uh, and I think I've told this story in the air before. Uh, I used to bet on football games uh, when I was a kid, uh, and I was pretty good at it. And um, I didn't. And I let it all ride in the 1994 Oklahoma Texas football game because I was pretty confident who was going to win. I don't remember who won the game. I just remember it was the team that I didn't pick. And they didn't cover. And I didn't have enough money to cover the bet. So I I was worried, like, people were going to break my legs and stuff. So I called my grandmother up here in Iowa and moved in with her. That's how I ended up back here. <laughs> and then years later, after I uh, became uh, a, a believer, after our, you know my life was on more solid footing, I actually went back and found my bookie. I went back and found him, you know, using phone books and stuff like that and calling in information because we didn't quite have, you know, everything on Google yet. These were the early days of the Internet still. And uh, I went back and found him. No, actually, we did have Google. It was just like 2003. So we had that back then. So that's probably how I did find him. But I went back and found him. And I had I, I added an APR to how many years it had been since 1994 since I had paid him that bet and got his address. And I sent him a check. So I don't think I can't. I mean, I, I so I, I use that because that's an example of how I sort of humiliated myself. But I, I didn't lose a bet. I've never lost a bet where somebody humiliated me. I I don't put myself in positions for other people to humiliate me. I will typically just do it myself. <laughs> no one else required. <laughs> yes. I the only thing I can think of is lunch or dinner. I I, I just and I can't even remember a spe- specific example because I I just don't engage in it very often and this would have been years ago when probably i was a college kid or something like that yeah i don't get engage in betting that often uh the one that comes to mind right away though was back in 2015 during the rise of trump and i had a buddy of mine who's a green bay packers fan and the chiefs and packers were playing and i was uh, really cocky and confident that the chiefs were gonna win <laughs> they got their butts kicked and uh, he bet me um I, I had to change my uh, my profile picture to a picture of me photoshopped with a Make America Great I had, uh, Make America Great. Did I you do it? I did. Now for I, a little bit. Some of our listeners know that I do on the side a sports podcast with my friend John Miller at Hawkeye Nation that, that gets huge download numbers. I'm shocked how many thousands of people download this thing every month. He has still never delivered on a bet with me over our football picks for a season. We we, we did it on the podcast over the course of a season. And the and the loser, if and, and I, I don't remember what humiliating act I had to do if I lost, but I remember what he agreed to do, because he's got a bit of a chest hair, a bit of a chest muff problem, right? So what he was going to have to do was come over to my house and mow my lawn. Oh, that's right. With the chest muff out while I videotaped it, so I could have that clip. He has never lived up to that. That is that is pretty intense. Uh, question three: Do you have a go-to joke? A go-to joke. Um, That's when you say, yes, my producer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hired one a year and a half ago. Um, Do I have a go-to joke? No, I'm trying to think. I can't. I don't think so. Because I would have used it on you guys, right? Have you heard me use use one or use one when new people come in, right? Have you heard me? I can't think of one. I had a go-to line with girls. It only worked like once, though. And um, I don't know. 
I can even say this on the radio. Oh, uh, gosh. This is this. You want examples of humi- examples of humiliating <laughs> myself. I used to have this line, hey, can I borrow a quarter? Because my mom told me to call her when I found the girl in my dreams. Of course, you can't use it anymore. And it's expired. <laughs> Nobody uses payphones anymore. Although now it might be a better line. It might be kind of more cute. Might be more adorable to use that as a line, right? Because people don't. Look, it's got this look on his face. Like I have just like like he's looking at me like when I have to spank you later. According to the dude code, I just want you to know it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I love. I love at one point, little Steve Dace was proud that that was in his arsenal. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Going to walk over here. Well, it's not exactly I'm rich, so I get to grab him by the you-know-what. But it was the best that I had, guys. It was all I could come up with. I'm sorry. Go to... There was a, a point when we were in high school, Steve and I were in high school, and that's when the naked gun came out. Yeah. And that began what happened throughout college because I went to, uh, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and I went to college there, so a lot of my buddies were still, we would hold entire conversations in joke. Naked Gun started that off. I mean, it was... It was like a second language, and it absolutely we, it was. I mean, it, how, we used to hum the national anthem oh, like that too. And it still you happens. Yeah. If we come back together, we turn into that same age again. Yeah, I don't really have any go-to jokes. I have go-to funny stories, but that's a different story. You're listening to Steve Dace. Truth, justice, and the way America should be. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. Indeed, this is the Nightly Buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the stories trending on social media at the water cooler where you work that we didn't have time to get to earlier in the evening. Our producer, Aaron, has those headlines. We will have the hot takes in response. Thank you, Steve, for a story. Republicans powered President Trump's education secretary nominee through the Senate earlier today with Vice President Mike Pence casting his first vote to break the tie and officially confirm Betsy DeVos. Democrats, urged on by their powerful backers and the teachers' unions, had singled her out for a particular scrutiny, calling her among the worst nominees in American history and the worst of all of Donald Trump's picks. If, you, if you're happy with this news, make sure that you thank Harry Reid. So, yes, in the span of the one week, we are urging people to thank Mitch McConnell and Harry Reid on this radio program. But Harry Reid, uh, frustrated with Republicans in the Obama years, got rid of the uh, filibuster threshold when it came to cabinet appointees, which allowed for a straight up and down vote. And had that not happened, likely what would have happened is uh, because look, they even picked up, a, they even picked off a couple of, of rhinos, even with even when they didn't have a cushion like a filibuster, right? But if there was a cushion with a filibuster, there would have been several other rhinos that probably would have voted against Betsy DeVos because they'd rather curry favor the teacher unions too. Uh, so 
if you're happy with this news, make sure you send a uh, a little pick me up uh, Harry Reid's way. Give him a helmet sticker because he's partially responsible for what happened this afternoon. Well, if you remember, uh, my gut told me that this was going to be that's the right toughest pass. You and, did make that call, yes, and it it turned out to be so. I've been in enough uh, uh, school board meetings as a, f- a former uh, newspaper reporter to know. I've seen the cult in action. I know this is their church. I know to lose it uh, for them would be, um, ultimately would be unrecoverable. And Steve, you talk about this on the show, with the multiple reasons we are institutionally brainwashed in this country, and it, it starts right here. So, and they sensed a weakness. I, quite frankly, I sense some weakness in, in her, which is not to say she's a person of low character or anything like that. To do what must truly be done in that department, if it's going to exist at all, and that's a question that I have. Uh, but I don't know, she does not seem like she's the one for the job. A new investigative video from Live Action reveals the Planned Parenthood abortion business implementing abortion quotas to increase the number of babies killed in abortions. According to former Planned Parenthood staffers, that included using pizza parties to motivate employees to sell and perform more abortions. But remember, guys, abortions are only 5% of Planned Parenthood's revenue. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just wicked. It's just evil. It's, it's also not a surprise. And God bless the work Lila Rose and the people at Live Action have been doing for many for several years now, going back to when uh, she still looks pretty young for her age, but when she looked even younger. And she used to pretend to be underage teenage girls infiltrating Planned Parenthood clinics and getting them on tape on how they would coach her to say she was raped uh, or something so they could give some kind of excuse for they can help her kill her kid without any parental notification and things of that nature. She has blown the lid off of these people for years now. And at some point, it goes, it, this is in, ma- in many respects, it, it sort of dovetails with the conversation we had in the opening hour, Todd. At some point, you ask, what critical mass could be exposed where we would simply say, as, a, as an enlightened people, this has to stop? And many of us thought we got that a couple of years ago with uh, the Daladin videos and the sting operation that came out uh, about baby parts uh, for, for profit. And that didn't do it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know where the critical mass comes from. This is like the second or third whistleblowing exclusive on Planned Parenthood that li- Live Action's had just like in the last month, right? Yeah. They've had two or three had of see, This is a series, yeah. And furthermore, there was a, a story just, I think that happened yesterday or the day before, but a, a, a street preacher was, uh, I believe, talking about uh, the life issue, and a, a, a pro-abortion uh, woman came up with a a bloody female uh, a tampon or something like that and rubbed it in his face. So this is because we did not draw the line at the obvious, Steve. Oh, baby parts and freezers? Yeah, I, I know we turned away a lot of other times, but now it's obvious and you went too far. Once you don't, Once you don't draw the line there... Then all hell breaks loose. I mean, there literally is, all yes, hell. That's my point. I mean, we allowed the gate to be open wide. Next story. According to a CBS poll, a majority of Democrats have said that they are or they believe that the religion of Islam is dangerous, but that other religions are just as bad. Sixty six percent of Democrats responded to the survey by saying by saying what you think Hindus are so innocent. 
That last part's a lie. 66% of Democrats believe when it comes but, to but, other uh, but religions. I, but I could have believed that. I, I could have believed that, actually. This should shock, not shock anybody. I mean, it shouldn't. I mean, no one rises above their own worldview. So if, if you adopt a secular worldview, then it's in place of adopting a theistic one. Why would you reject a theistic one for a secular one? Well, these are your views. This is what you think theism does to people. Of course, now recognizing that you're still a theist. You just made yourself the theo. And that's all you did. You just have a religion of self. Which is the most dangerous religion, frankly, of them all. But, but it's never really looked at it that way. You know, so they, they get, they, because we, again, we allow this. We allow them to poke every hole and, and prod at every weakness of our own viewpoint without ever really making them defend the holes and weaknesses of their own. I was actually a little surprised that the number was as low as 66%. Mm-hmm. I figured it'd be higher. And, and there you are with the optimism again. Well, I don't think this is optimism. Wait for it. Because then their excuse, the, the justification would just be grotesque levels of ignorance. But the fact that it's low is 66%. There's a bunch of people who know, mm-hmm. Democrats, who know how dangerous it is and still hop on this ridiculous wagon we are now and like let the refugees in for nothing more than political sport, for victory even though they know. Last story, the Knights for Socialism group at the University of Central Florida held a workshop over the weekend to teach left-wing students how to, quote-unquote, bash the fash with a leftist fight club. It's open to everyone but Republicans. The description explains that a local amateur boxer was on hand to teach basic hand-to-hand combat uh, combat techniques at the self-defense clinic in order to help the socialist students Better protect themselves from potential hate crimes. Congratulations. You are now officially socialists. Before you were just pretending. Before you were just blogging. But now that you are preparing to act out violently, it is official. You have your street cred. You are officially socialists because this is always what socialism ends up doing. Yes, you have to enforce your credos by the point of a gun because no one else or the majority won't want to be a part about it in any other way. Policy so good, you've got to mandate them at the point of a gun. That's right. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's not about the next election. It's about the next generation. Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So this trend in Hollywood continued again in 2016. Except this is actually good news uh, for people like uh, many of you that listen to this show that believe in good old-fashioned American values. 
And it's largely unreported, but it's been documented each and every year by my buddy Ted Bear, who runs MovieGuy.org, which is an excellent resource. If you're looking for a, a true look at what movies are out there that are good and not so good for a Christian, for a biblical worldview, they don't pull any punches at all. They practically see just about everything in order to give you the lowdown. And you can read those reviews at MovieGuy.org and Ted joins us now. It's good to have you back on the show, brother. How are you? Oh, it's great. And I hope I'm going to be seeing you a couple of weeks in Orlando. And if not, uh, come out here so I can take you to death. You should come to the gala sometime. We'd love to have you. We'll honor you at the gala. We- I would I would love to do that. Um, I can't do NRB this year. I was all set to go, but we're... We're moving our show to CRTV, and it's and and so I need that time to get ready for our new television show that we're going to do around the show. So I had to back out at the last minute, but I'd love to come out there and be a part of that gala. So just let me know sometime. I'd love to do it, Ted. Next year. We're going to count on you for next year. So you guys have been documenting this trend that continued again in 2016 in Hollywood regarding which movies are the most successful. Tell us about it. Well, on Friday, when we do our big awards gala, we've got uh, the top people in Hollywood coming. <laughs> we've got the, uh, believe it or not, the head of William Morris Television. Who would figure that they would want to come? And we've got one of the heads of Sony and heads of different studios. And that's our primary audience. You know, other award shows want to get the actors. But my father was a star in the 30s, and he always said actors are just window dressing on the set. Um, unlike people who are on mic who are actually thinking about what they're saying, they're just reading a script. So the people that are making the decisions are the people behind the scenes. So I give them this report to the entertainment industry. And in the report this year, it's just absolutely uh, incredible. Of the top 10 movies last year, six of them were Movie Guide Award nominees, such as uh, Captain America, where he goes to church, uh, cathedral and he's told he has to stand for freedom and he stands against uh, the U.N., of all places. You'd think that Hillary Clinton would have been upset by this and uh, finding Dory about her family. And it was a traditional family. And, uh, you know, The Jungle Book. I mean, there are just a lot of great movies. So 80% of the top 10 in 2016 had a strong or very strong Christian, biblical, moral, or redemptive content. Uh, 70% had a strong worldview, Christian worldview. Only 10% had occult content, and only uh, 10% were R-rated. So R-rated just did not do well. And if you look at what what I find is interesting, Steve, is that um, over the years, if you look back in the mid-'70s, there were a lot of uh, uh, very pro-liberal socialist films. Now they don't make it into the top 25. Now most of the big movies have extreme patriotism in it, even made by people who probably don't believe what they're making. So the studios know Warner Brothers two years ago had to let off 5,000 people. If you don't want to let off people, you've got to reach the big audience. What is the big audience? That's the question. Why are these numbers so good in our favor? Because every week, 117 million to 135 million go to church. Why? Because I go to church, couldn't get coffee and donuts, and I love coffee and donuts. I'm a little teddy bear. But only 20 to 25 million people go to movies. So you do the math. Mm-hmm. There's about six to seven times more people going to church than movies. If you if you consider other audiences, my wife's Hispanic, you know, from Argentina, uh, that audience is about 20 million. Well, that's you know, that isn't anywhere near the size of the church audience. And the church audience consists of men, women, children, etc. So if you want a movie to, to go into the stratosphere, 
you've got to reach that audience. And probably the most one of the most Christian films of all time, and one of the biggest films, did thirteen billion by the time it had finished. So they want to make money, and that's the way to make money. And they won't talk about it. And they'll they they remind me. I have a joke about this that I did with the station in Canada yesterday. They're like the women who marched in the women's march and then put on a ball gown and went to the ball the next that night. You know, they'll they'll march and they'll sound just as uh, a leftist as possible, but then they got to put on the ball gown and put, do Cinderella or they'll never make it. Hmm. One of the really neat people I have met in our movement uh, the last few years is with us now, Ted Bear over at Movie Guy, just a great guy, true patriot. And they do a great service at movieguide.org. They'll give you all the movie reviews, even films, rated R films. I mean, unless we know going in, like they're not going to give you the biblical worldview of Fifty Shades of Gray. All right, but uh, anything kind of short of that, they will look at everything from a biblical worldview standpoint. So, you know, the prophet says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You cannot claim a lack of knowledge uh, if you uh, check out movieguide.org. And they also advocate for our values in Hollywood as well. More with Ted in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. From the front lines of the battle for liberty, the Steve Day Show. Back here with Ted Bear from Movie Guy. Check him out online at movieguide.org. You know, I look at I look at a movie like the Angry Birds movie, which which was one of the top thirty movies in the country last year, made over hundred million dollars. And here's the plot line of the film. For those who haven't seen it, this is one of the most conservative pro-life movies that Hollywood's made in my lifetime. The plot line of this film is that there is this uh, this politically correct culture that that tries to stifle out individuality, passion, achievement, and make everybody just simply sanitary uh, drones of a of a colony. And there's one guy who who this makes him angry, kind of rebels against it, and then they're faced by this external foe who can't have children of their own, so they kidnap all of the unborn children of their colony. They have this giant eagle that is this, that's their symbol that's supposed to protect them. Get it? Eagle? Giant supposed to protect them. The giant eagle is supposed to protect them. He's like their government. But they go, they, so they climb the mountain to go get the government to help them. The government that got the eagles asleep can't, doesn't have the means by which to actually figure it out to do it. He's just been a fallacy all this time. And so the people that have actually rebelled against the drone like political correctness in the colony, they're the only ones that have the temerity to go and challenge these invaders to bring all the unborn children back home. And then when they realize that they left one unborn child behind Ted they don't say well you know what we got 99% that's good enough we're incrementalists no they risk all their lives to go back and get the one last unborn child as well this is the plot line of this movie now if I submitted this as a script to Hollywood outside the realm of an animated feature if I said hey here's the movie I want to make in live action would that even get made Ted if that movie would that even get made with that as a plot 
Well, I have to tell you good news that the left does not like. The New York Times released an article about two years ago that Hollywood is not pro-choice. It's all pro-life. And if you look at those top movies that grossed, they're all pro-life. I mean, Jungle Book. Let's take Jungle Book. Jungle Book is about a little boy who's not within the people. And at the end, he saves his people. He saves these people. He's not one of them. Uh, and so he's, he's an outsider. He's like Jesus. And that's what the metaphor is. But in the middle of it, you know, that the villain wants to kill. The villain tiger wants to kill the little boy. And he asks, what is a little boy's life worth? <laughs> he's worth everything. He's worth the whole community standing for its life. And this goes on to a secret life of pets. It goes on for Captain America. It goes on to Finding Dory. So, you know, as the New York Times was smart enough to recognize this, that Hollywood, and the reason they're not pro-choice is because we show them that nobody wants to see a baby killed in a movie. It's just not true. That did, nobody wants to see it, even whatever you are. So the movies that make money at the box office are movies that have faith and values and love life and want more life. Let's just look at some figures here for Christian, because you know how the left loves to bash Christians and say we're just exactly like uh, those other nefarious yeah, people, because we've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness. The more Christian content, the better you do. So if you have no Christian content, you average about 184 million in the box office, a little bit, 227 million, a little bit more, 262 million, a lot, 364 million. Wow. Which would you rather do? You can make twice as much money by putting in a lot of Christian content, by having Captain America go to a cathedral, by showing things that have faith, the things that talk about Jesus. So I don't care what Ashley Judd says for these people. You know, they're 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 denying what they're doing. You know, I've, it was a funny article. Well, Steve. listen, look at you're Ashley Judd. The, 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 the most the only one I'm going to tell this to. But go ahead. Uh, you know, about a month ago, a Hollywood reporter did an article on guns and all the anti-gun people and how there's more gun use and about the places that provide guns to the Hollywood and train these Hollywood people. Jennifer Lawrence or whatever, who claim to be anti-gun. This is hypocrisy. This is real hypocrisy because they're not anti-gun. They're using more guns in their movies than ever before. They should all be members of the NRA. <laughs> well, you talk about hypocrisy. Look at Ashley Judd. The most success, commercially successful movie she's been in the last five years was Divergent, where yeah. she where she plays a mom who rebels against the exact dystopian worldview, Marxist worldview that she's up there perpetuating at the march a couple of a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that's one of the most libertarian movies I've seen Hollywood make ever in my lifetime. Was that film? And that that was the most commercially successful movie she's been in the last. Few years, so folks, this, she picked up a gun. I remember, yes, she did, <laughs> folks. This is why you want to check out Movie Guide because uh, Ted and the and the crew there they don't just review films from a Christian worldview standpoint, but they are actually in Hollywood advocating for our values uh, in what I think now is the most influential uh, thought center in in America now, popular culture, and that's why you want to check them out at MovieGuide.org. Ted, it's good to see you again, brother. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, take care. When you guys hear those numbers from Ted, and that's all documented. They put this report out every year, by the way. It's all footnoted. It's all researched. 
those numbers are astounding, don't you think, when you actually hear them laid out like it, that? It's, it is. I mean, it's a juxtaposition, one, that Christian programming and Christian films are being made in such a, a leftist uh, faux utopia like Hollywood, and that in such a leftist and um, uh, running towards or uh, sprinting towards Gomorrah culture like we live in in the United States... It's still profitable to make films that are actually that actually have some semblance of morals and that have some semblance of faith in them. It is striking, and it's just an odd juxtaposition, but it is encouraging. And yes, it's hypocrisy, but remember, their hypocrisy is a means to an end. They don't care. They know they're being hypocrites. It's it's ultimately they're they're pretend they get paid to be people they're actually right. not for goodness sakes yes but putting more cash in the pocket ends up ultimately going to the the causes they they want so you know it, it's a it's a gamble they're willing to make that that is an argument that I hear from people who are just like well I just don't I don't watch movies I don't get part of that at all because they're just going to use my they're just going to use my money against me there is some truth to that obviously on the other hand that the money that it takes to make these films that do promote our values comes from somewhere too you know, so you so you're also funding that as well yes so 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 they are they have just as much of a, a slippery slope with this circular with this line of reasoning as we do right because on one hand they're taking money in order to make more monies more more films promoting the values that politically they oppose so they've got a bit of a dichotomy there too you're listening to steve dace The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is the time at the end of the program each evening when we find out what, indeed, we have learned over the last three hours. So, Todd, what have you learned? Well, I learned that we're in this strange irony that Donald Trump is... The, the product of the, you know, know-nothing constitutionalism that we've lived under a long, long time. I mean, it was it was not about preserve, protect, and defend that that he got into office. Could really care less. It's a means to an end at, at best. But he is seemingly the person with enough chutzpah, and I don't give a damn, to do the thing that must be done to the return the Constitution to have a chance at being what it is supposed to be and what we need it to be. I go back to something that I was alluding to a couple of weeks ago, I think, on the show. That Donald Trump right now, I mean, for, for some of the good um, trend lines that we've had, some of the good appointments, some of the good things that he's done, um, even with that, it feels like right now, whatever whatever he's doing or whatever he's accomplished, if he does not take on the Leviathan that is the unconstitutional judicial overreach that has permeated all the courtrooms, I mean, all of them in the United States, whatever he does that's good, it's just a Band-Aid, if, it, if, if we can even apply it at all. Because at the end of the day, as you pointed out in the first hour, Steve... As soon as you start to do anything that uh, conservatives or that would be uh, construed as conservative or rolling back uh, progressive uh, culture change in the United States, as soon as you do that, you're going to be in a federal court. And so whatever good things Donald Trump can do in the first 100 days or the first four years of his term, if he does not confront the judiciary, it's going to be all for naught. And let me say this. I'm, I'm rooting for him to do this. 
because dis- despite misgivings I've had about him on a political level, personality-wise, he fits the profile of the kind of person to tear down the sort of shibboleth of the dam. Like he, he, this, he fits the profile of the Samson who tears down the, the pillars of the Temple of Dagon to plunge the fish demon uh, face down into the dirt. Because somebody who is more learned, somebody who's more a part of this process, even if they're smarter, more committed ideologically to our value system, it's always hard for the prophet to be regarded in his own hometown. It is tough to rebel against your own ecosystem. Trump is not from this habitat. Doesn't need this habitat. He's going to walk away from this with billions of dollars, whether he gets reelected in a landslide or impeached. That's not changing. He doesn't owe the system anything. Hates lawyers. So, I mean, if, if my concern is if someone like him isn't willing to challenge this canard. You start wondering whether we are capable as a people of producing the person that would. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 